when you're a journalist and people don't trust you, it's always your fault. These people need to be represented. They are Canadian. They deserve to have a voice and a seat at the table. It is time to go back to the office, and the time is now. Russia had reasons to be concerned. They had reasons to be fearful. We're at an absolute turning point in reproduction. This is the problem with realism. They just treat all countries the same. They don't distinguish between dictatorships and democracies. Welcome to The Monk Debates. Every episode, we provide you with a civil and substantive debate on the big issue of the day to arm you, the listener, with enough information to make up your own mind. Today's debate, be it resolved, the British Empire did more harm than good. India's share of the world economy when Britain arrived on its shores was 23%. By the time the British left, it was down to below 4%. Why? simply because India had been governed for the benefit of Britain. Britain's rise for 200 years was financed by its depredations in India. Hello, I'm your moderator, Rudyard Griffiths. Well, that was Shashi Tharoor, a longtime member of the Indian Parliament and a vocal critic of the British Empire. Like Shashi, a growing number of modern historians want to set the record straight and reimagine British colonialism according to its true nature, one defined by mass torture, rape, and starvation. The Brits, they argued, plundered their colonies to enrich themselves and use the appearance of social progress and enlightened principles to cover up their crimes. Other historians see the vilification of British colonial history as lacking in context. Britain was no better or worse than other empires that preceded it or succeeded it. It has been unfairly blamed for the current economic and political woes of the global south, while the positive attributes that the British Empire sowed across the world, such as free trade, the rule of law, democratic institutions, all fail to receive the acknowledgement that they deserve. On this installment of the Monk Debates, we go to the essence of these arguments by debating the motion be it resolved, the British Empire did more harm than good. Arguing for the motion is James Hartfield. He's a historian and author of the best-selling book, Britain's Empires, A History, 1600 to 2020. Arguing against the motion is Nigel Bigger, historian, ethicist, and author of Colonialism, A Moral Reckoning. James, Nigel, welcome to the Monk Debates. Hi. Thanks for having us on, Roger. Looking forward to today's debate, so let's get right to it. Our resolution, be it resolved, the British Empire did more harm than good. James, you're up first with your two-minute opening statement. I don't think it's controversial that um, the uh, British Empire, in its long history, 400 years, let's say, uh, was pretty um, violent, exploitative, was a, for the most part, uh, hostile to democracy uh, for the peoples that it governed. And uh, I wouldn't want to say that um, every moment of everybody's lives under the British Empire was misery. I think that would be absurd. But um, certainly, I think it was um, all told in the main, on balance, uh, it was uh, more harm than good. And um, whilst nobody wants people to feel bad about their own lives and positions in the world, 
I think an obligation to the truth says that we should um, tell the whole story of the British Empire. Thank you, James. Okay, Nigel, your opportunity for an opening statement. You're arguing against our motion today. Be it resolved, the British Empire has done more harm than good. Let's have your opening remarks, please. In its uh, 400-year-long life, stretching from uh, Newfoundland to New Zealand, uh, the British Empire certainly did both good and evil. So on that much, I think probably James and I can agree. Uh, It did both slavery and anti-slavery. It did racism and racial egalitarianism. It did unjustified violence and justified violence. Now, the fact that it sometimes did very bad things indeed doesn't distinguish it from any other state. So, for example, um, in uh, Amritsar in the Punjab in April 1919, General Dyer notoriously ordered uh, 50 Indian troops to open fire on an unarmed crowd of 25,000, it's estimated, uh, killing uh, 379 people and wounding maybe around 1,200. So that's true. It's also true that 65 years later, in June 1984, the independent Indian government sent artillery and tanks into Amritsar to suppress Sikh nationalists. The violence of the past two days reached its height in a massacre in the suburb of Trilokpuri. According to eyewitnesses, the narrow lanes were blocked by a mob of youths. All the men in the houses were dragged out, knifed and set on fire. Those who resisted were hacked to pieces. And in the course of that engagement, they killed at least 493 people, and according to some reports, up to 3,000. Now, did the empire's uh, good outweigh its bad, or did the harm outweigh the good? My view is we can't possibly say, because we can't compare chalk and cheese. Uh, We can't say, for example, that uh, the uh, everyday humiliation of indigenous peoples because of, of racial prejudice was worse than um, the benefit brought by uh, Western tropical medicine to the people of Africa. Uh, the, two, the two things are so completely disparate. We can't, we can't weigh them. There's no, there's no common quantity. Let's just do that. What we can say, I think, is that the British Empire was not radically evil like the Nazi regime. It's my position that nowhere did the British Empire commit genocide, not even in Tasmania. And we can also say that the the empire became increasingly humanitarian and liberal. Um, So, for example, while, yes, it presided over slave trading and slavery in the Americas from about 1650, in the early 1800s, the British Empire became one of the first states in the history of the world to uh, abolish both the slave trade and slavery, and then went on to lead the world in suppressing slavery from Brazil across Africa to India and Australasia. According to the uh, American political scientists Chaim Chaim Kaufman and Robert Pape, the empire's suppression of the slave trade across the Atlantic alone was the most costly international humanitarian endeavour in modern history. Nigel, thank you for that excellent opening statement. Okay, let's move on to rebuttals. The opportunity now for you both to react to what you've just heard. James, you're up first. Give us the flavor of your commentary on Nigel's opening remarks. 
I have a lot of sympathy with um, Nigel's approach um, insofar as, uh, it, you know, it's too large, really, to uh, make a single judgment. And um, I think it's fair to say that um, um, there are definite advances for human life um, that take place under the empire. But I do think there is a, a, a continuous thread, which is that... Um, um empire is uh you know colonization is a process of domination but um what didn't happen as much as it could have i think is the the modification uh, towards government by consent i think it is important that um you know significant parts of the empire did advance towards uh, self government and, you know, through that process, independence, though uh, uh, pointedly and disappointingly, it does feel very much as if there was a different attitude towards uh, uh, white subjects and uh, subjects of colour, that um, self-government was uh, more easily uh, yielded to uh, New Zealanders, um, white Australians, Americans, um, Canadians than it was to... Um, West Africans uh, to Indians. Alongside the winds of change, there was a lot of um, uh, kind of rearguard action, uh, which uh, is often when the um, the empire was at its most intolerant. Uh, and we see the policing operations in uh, Kenya and Malaya uh, were pretty um, violent uh, operations, and in the Middle East. They've been waiting almost half a century, but Kenya's Mau Mau liberation fighters finally have an apology from the country's colonial era rulers. The expression of regret brings with it a payout, but no admission of liability over what is seen as one of the most brutal episodes of Britain's imperial past. As the empire struggled to put down the insurgency in one of its most important colonies, it detained as many as 160,000 Kenyans. You know, another way around would be to say that the you know that more often it was liberals who built the empire, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, and uh, conservatives who governed it. Uh, the, the role of governing, I think, in its nature, was much more defensive, and um, for those reasons, uh, was brittle and was often uh, brutal. Thank you, James. Okay, now your chance, Nigel, for a rebuttal. Can you react to James's opening statement? or what you've just heard now. You started off by saying that, you know, there's not much controversy about whether the empire was considerably violent and exploitative. I, on exploitation, yes, there is controversy, because two things I say about that. First of all, if you're, if you're a neo-Marxist, it goes without saying, and um, that the empire was basically about economic exploitation. But then if you read... Um, Rudolf von Albertini, who was a Swiss economist, who, according to David Fieldhouse, conducted the most comprehensive study of colonial literature after 1940, he concluded about colonial economics that it is impossible to capture the truth of colonial economics in terms of exploitation and plunder. Uh, because there were too many different things going on. Now, did exploitation happen in the empire? Certainly did. <laughs> but then it also happened in England and America, and it probably happens in India today. So 
exploitation is is not peculiarly colonial. And on violence, um, y- yes, I mean the empire was was very violent. But I look back on history, <laughs> trying to figure out if there's a part of the world up until 20th century Western Europe that wasn't subject to lots of violence lots of the time. And it strikes me that that um, in the past, most governments were weak. And a weak government tends to use violence a lot uh, because it, it can't survive otherwise. So I, I, don't, I don't dispute the empire was often violent and sometimes its violence was unjustified, not always. And I, I, I do understand that, that uh, a government that does not rest on the kind of widespread popular consent that a democratic government rests on uh, is more likely to find itself faced with eruptions of violent rebellion, which then has to be dealt with violently. But then, then I think that probably would describe lots of governments, be, be they imperial or colonial or, or national, in terms of their precariousness in the face of popular views. Thank you, Nigel. You are listening to our debate today, be it resolved, the British Empire did more harm, has done more harm. Uh, than good. James, let me come to you first with a question, and maybe just if you could play along with me a little bit. I'm always fascinated by counterfactuals. What if we played with a counterfactual that the British Empire never existed? What would be the argument then that the world would be a better place? Because in some sense, that is at the, the essence of what your contention is here, that Greater harm was done than good. So therefore, if we take that to the extreme and the British Empire never existed, then why would the world be a better place? Oh, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can take that one. <laughs> I mean, not on not on the whole merit of it, uh, because the, um, you know, because we, we, we can never know. Um, but uh, certainly I think um, a lot of countries... Uh, in a trajectory might have been very different. Um, and uh, I think if you imagine, you know, particularly uh, India, that so much of um, economic development happens on the coast, you know, in human history, that the um, uh, control of ports uh, is such a, a fundamental thing. You know, what would India have been if it had had control of its ports? It would have been... Uh, I suggest quite a different place. But James, let me just let, let me just push you for the sake of the debate, push you a little bit on this. Further to Nigel's point, well, if the British Empire didn't exist, there were a lot of other empires, the Belgian Empire, the German Empire, the French Empire. Couldn't one make an argument that those empires demonstrably were worse than the British Empire? They, in comparison to the British Empire, they did more harm than good. Their colonial policies were more brutal. Their interests were more self-interested. Doesn't that give some credence here to Nigel's argument that en masse, taken as a sum, is, you know, and again, with both of you are arguing for nuance here, and I appreciate that, but put it all together, the British Empire is exemplary among empires in history. I d- no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the, um, France's uh, attempt to unite Europe in uh, uh, 1800s, uh, you know, could easily have been a, a very different road to uh, civilization. 
Uh, I think there are often cases where the British Empire was uh, without doubt the most uh, destructive force. I think most pointedly at its most defensive, which is when it was at its most extensive and um, the way that other nations were, were kind of pushed out uh, and held down really added to you know the, the, the some of the more destructive sides so um I, generally i don't think your counterfactual can work because we just can't know uh, but what i think psychologically what it reads on is um a kind of fantasy figure of a, a just uh, englishman um who we hope you know was going to do a bit better than a belgian or a frenchman and um um, you know, I'm susceptible to that kind of prejudice myself, but um, I do think it's in the end, it's just a prejudice. Englishmen in the wrong circumstances, um, uh, you know, under uh, significant pressures, uh, were capable of uh, taking some spectacularly uh, uh, wicked um, decisions. So, Nigel, let me come back to you and build on part of what I've just heard from James, which interests me that. Those who would argue that, no, um, it's wrong to say the British Empire did more harm than good. Fundamentally, their their argument is based on a, a view of kind of English exceptionalism, that there was something special about the British Empire, that it just wasn't simply founded and organized on the premise that all empires are organized on, which is the coordination of violence across vast geographies to extract material wealth from less powerful, less fortunate people and expropriate that wealth back to the metropole to enrich it and benefit from a relationship of fundamentally of exploitation. And all this is gussied up and dressed up in the veneer of this, you know, the inherent civilizing aspects, uh, abilities of the Englishmen, which are somehow unique in history. I'd like to hear a little bit more from you on that. Yes. Um, so I, I'm not sure uh, whether the British were very different from the French or the Dutch in this respect. It depends what aspects we're talking about. But were the British in their empire better than uh, let's say, some earlier empires or some non-European empires. Well, I think that when Englishmen and Scotsmen and Britons pitched up on the coast of North America in the 1600s or 1700s, my perception is, on the whole, it was pretty predatory and ruthless. They weren't much interested in civilising Native Americans. They were much more interested in uh, gold or land. So that was pretty exploitative. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, Slave trading and slavery was part of that, making money out of the West Indies by enslaving Africans. But I, I do have the strong impression, the longer I've looked at this, that there was, a, there was a, something of a moral revolution in Britain, and not just in Britain, elsewhere in Northwest Europe, in the late 1700s, which manifests itself, first of all, in the movement to abolish slavery, which, which uh, proved to be a political campaign of unprecedented popularity. In 1791, I think uh, 20% of the total male population of, of Britain is reckoned to have signed petitions to abolish the slave trade. 
And then uh, moving into the 19th century, not only do you abolish slavery, you then end up spending the next 150 years suppressing it all over the world. Um, and then you get in the 1840s, um, again, uh, Christian humanitarian concern about the, the impact of colonization on Australian Aborigines, for example, and you get the foundation of the Society for the Protection of Aboriginal Peoples in 1837, I think. And, and, and so, so there is a growing kind of humanitarian concern, also chastened by the loss of the American colonies in 1783. Uh, the British learn that you can't keep tight control over far-flung colonies. And so starting with Canada in 1867, the British Empire begins to move along a, a liberal path toward what would become uh, a voluntary commonwealth of nations so that by 1930... Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa are virtually independent states. And India, a non-white settler colony, is put on the same road in 1919. In London, the flags of the new Indian Union flutter over the headquarters of India and Pakistan. An era has ended, a new epoch begins. A subcontinent larger than the whole of Europe becomes two self-governing dominions within the British Commonwealth of Nations. After less than a century under the British crown, India's most crucial hour has struck. So by the First World War, by the end of the First World War, the empire is beginning to relax into, into a voluntary association, which I, I would call, uh, uh, I would regard as, as a, a manifestation of a liberal vision of, of empire. And also you've got, um, in Britain, um, you've, got free, you've got a pretty free press, you've got parliamentary accountability, you've got the courts, all of which were exported. Uh, so I do think it says a lot about the empire, the fact that in 1939, it committed itself. In fact, it exhausted itself in 39 to 45, fighting what? Well, in Europe, fascism. Uh, I think that says a lot about the empire. So I, I do, I have no doubt that it was better than, than many of the, as you put it, uh, Rudyard, many of the simply uh, oppressive and, and exploitative empires of, of the past. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a low base, I know, but, but the Mongol Empire didn't do much except predation. But actually, the, the Ndebili and Mashonaland were pretty predatory too, and they, they weren't much into building, promoting public goods. If you're enjoying the Friday Focus podcast as a donor, but haven't yet taken that next step of becoming a monk supporter, now is your opportunity. For the next couple of weeks, we have a flash sale on 30% off monk supporter level membership. You get all kinds of great benefits, including a decade and a half back catalog of terrific debates and dialogues covering all the big issues of our time, a complimentary ebook, a charitable tax receipt for Canadian residents, and the ability to share your monk membership with friends and family. Just a few of the incredible perks of becoming a monk supporter. You can do that right now by going to our website, www.monkdebates.com. That's M-U-N-K, debates with an S.com. Look for the top right navigation, click on membership, and at checkout, enter monk30, M-U-N-K-3-0, to get your 30% off discount before it's gone. Act now, become a Monk supporter. Thank you in advance for your generous support. James, let me come back to you and build on this uh, terrific back and forth. One of the features, uh, again, I think of this as a Canadian, as a citizen of a country that grew out of 
the British Empire to independence is the idea that the British Empire bequeathed a unique set of institutions that were germinated in the soil of your country with its own uh, struggle with royal and absolute power, its evolution into British parliamentary democracy and your other traditions around the rule of law and the exporting of all of this to countries around the world like Canada and New Zealand, across Africa. This is a, a very special legacy of the British Empire, a legacy, frankly, not seen in many of any other empires. This rooting of arguably a successful pathway and then the achievement of a sustainable form of government not seen in other empires. So why isn't this something uh, that we could see as tipping the scales, just that little but not unimportant bit in favor of the argument that the British Empire, in fact, did more good than harm. I think, you, you know, if you look at the, say, like the history of the Congress Party in India, you know, it begins very quietly as a, a lobbying group. It's more or less encouraged from the top as, um, you know, but get the civil servants together. Um, but um, it, for, intriguingly, in that process, that they they be, they fell into conflict eventually with um, uh, you know a fairly persistent back and forth conflict with the uh, colonial authorities, in which there's a great deal of give and take, uh, but, uh, but also there's an amazing amount of of conflict. Uh, I don't think it was ever the case that uh, Britain gifted uh, parliamentary sovereignty uh, without a fight as it were, or at least an argument. Um, and if you look, say, particularly in the West Indies, where um, self-governing colonies became crown colonies, because what emancipation did is it raised the prospect of um, uh, black elected chambers. And, you know, to avoid that uh, outcome, um, uh, they were made uh, crown colonies again, and their their self governing was um, severely curtailed. Most obviously, in the case of uh, Jamaica, after the uh, the Governor Eyre controversy. Um, so, I think yes, in the course of history, I think if you adopt a kind of long view of the, the the course of history, you could say yes, the impact of the British Empire was uh, broadly towards democracy and liberalisation. But I think to understand how that would happen, you also look at the way that it was withheld uh, and demanded and, um, you know, how much of the history of West Africa uh, and of the national liberation movements generally was um, a, a fulsome and aggressive um, uh, demand that we should have the rights that others had. Uh, and that wasn't granted freely. Final question for you, Nigel, before we move to closing statements. In law, there's this idea of, uh, you know, the doctrine of a kind of poison fruit, that if a case is built on, let's say, uh, the illegal seizure of evidence, that poison fruit pollutes the entire argument for the prosecution or the defense. I think listeners to this podcast would want to hear you talk a little bit more about slavery because a lot has been said recently about the original sin of Britain and the British Empire being the mass enslavement of Africans in the most 
horrible and uh, inhumane conditions to exploit, as you mentioned earlier, the West the West Indies uh, and the sugarcane trade, but also to build and enrich many of the myriad of British institutions that are recognized today as part of the patrimony and strength of your of your society. So for those, you know, in the closing moments of this debate, whose minds maybe aren't made up and are tipping between the pro and the con camps here, but have this niggling doubt, this worry about how do I reconcile slavery with any argument against the proposition that the British Empire did do more harm than good? That's a, that's a great question. Um, so my view is certainly that, of course, slavery was abhorrent, but it has to be put in context. Uh, the context is that up until the 1700s, 1800s, everyone did slavery all over the world, regardless of skin color. The Comanche did it in the southwest of what's now the United States. The West Africans did it a lot, did it from Roman times. They were selling Africans to Romans long before the Europeans arrived. So um, uh, by all means, uh, let's lament British and other European involvement in slavery, but let's put it in context. Uh, Europeans were not the first to do this. Now, the kind of slavery involved in the West Indies and perhaps in the southern states of the US was of the worst kind, but it wasn't unprecedented. So that's the first thing I'd say about that. Second thing to say is um, I'm a Christian. I'm, 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 I'm quite relaxed in a certain sense about, about sin. I mean, I, uh, in the sense that you will not find a state on earth that wasn't born in sin or that lived long enough. If it lived long enough, it will committed great sin. So it wasn't slavery. It was the exploitation of the industrial masses in the, in the 19th century or the, or the exploitation of serfs. So I, I don't see this as quite the unique sin slavery, as, as some are inclined to. And then the third thing I say is, you know, when you've done some, if you do something really bad, like enslaved people, and if enslaved people die in, in chains, there ain't nothing you can do about that to recover them. All you can do is stop it <laughs> and spend a century and a half stopping other people doing it. There's, there's no, you know, short of, short of God and the resurrection of the dead, the, the, the poor oppressed slaves who were who were worked to death, the dead. Um, all we can do is repudiate that, stop it, and stop others doing it. So, so the fa- the fact that, that there is that awful blot on the copybook of the empire does not negate everything good that has been built since. And in fact, it's, it's because we have liberal institutions and a free press, uh, and we can talk like this that the question of, of the justice that should be done now with regard to that evil is, is being, being aired in a way that it, it would not be aired in, in communist China with regard to the plight of the Uyghurs or the Tibetans. Well, let's move to closing statements. You're listening to our debate today. Be it resolved, the British Empire did more harm than good. James, you've been arguing in favor of the motion. Let's have your two minutes of closing remarks. I do think that if you're going to talk realistically and um, honestly and without uh, rancor and um, um, uh, guilt tripping about um, the British Empire, you have to know uh, that 
a, a lot of it was a history of, of exploitation. And if it recovered from that, you know, if it, what came out of that is um, uh, some viable nations and, um, you know, some good histories and some good institutions, then I think that's at least in part because uh, people un- living under the knout of um, domination uh, came to value freedom and uh, stood up and demanded their own independence. Thank you, James, for that closing statement. Okay, Nigel, we're going to give you the last word today in our debate, be it resolved. The British Empire did more harm than good. You've been arguing against the resolution. I don't disagree that the empire caused uh, sometimes very grave, very atrocious harm, but it also did some very great good. And it's still my view is that you, you can't weigh those two things up together in some kind of quantitative fashion. What you can say is that Britain was among the first states in the world's history to abolish slavery and and slave trading. What you can say is that from early on, that the notion that British rule over India and other parts of the world was a, a provisional thing to enable native peoples, indigenous peoples to rule themselves decently, um, uh, took root. There was, a, I think, a continuous uh, liberal theme that grows stronger and eventually flourishes into the Commonwealth of Nations, which is first conceived in 1917. Um, and, and the last thing is, I do think it says a lot about what the empire had become that uh, between May 1940, when France fell to Nazi Germany, and June 41, when Hitler unwisely invaded the Soviet Union, the British Empire offered Nazi Germany the only military opposition, with the sole exception of Greece. It didn't have to do that. Uh, uh, Britain and the Empire could have come to terms, arguably, with the fascists in Europe uh, after the fall of France. Uh, it, it, It chose not to do that. And I think that stands to its credit. So in sum, uh, I think the empire did good as well as evil. We can't say it did more one than the other. We can say the empire was never Nazi. In fact, it was anti-Nazi. And it became increasingly humanitarian and liberal. Thank you, Nigel. And thank you, James, for a terrific and far-reaching debate. We've done exactly what I hoped we would do today, which is um, approach this topic with uh, nuance and civility something often lacking from the conversation around British Empire and its impacts on histories and peoples around the world. So it's a credit to you both. And on behalf of the Monk membership, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Well, that wraps up today's debate. I want to thank our debaters, James and Nigel, for a terrific and far-reaching conversation. Let's hear your feedback. Send us email to podcast at Monk Debates, M-U-N-K, debates with an S, dot com. Also, a friendly reminder that our weekly current affairs podcast, Friday Focus, that comes out each and every Friday, is yours free to listen to in this very same podcast feed. You can catch a sample right now of Janice Stein and me, Rudyard Griffiths, digging into the big issues and ideas of the news from the last seven days. If you'd like to access full-length editions of each and every Friday Focus podcast, visit our website, www.monkdebates.com. Look for Friday Focus in the top right navigation. Thank you for lending your time and attention to our efforts to bring back the art of public debate, one conversation at a time. I'm your host and moderator, Rudyard Griffiths. 
The Monk Debates are a project of the Aurea and Peter and Melanie Monk Charitable Foundations. Rudyard Griffiths and Ricky Gerwitz are the producers. Be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like us, feel free to give us a five-star rating. Thank you again for listening.